Today's episode of Industry Town is brought to you by presenting sponsor John Rosenfeld Studios, where all classes are up and running online, and April is pay what you can. Check out johnrosenfeld.com for details. My guest today is an awesome guy and a very successful screenwriter and screenwriting coach, Pete Goldfinger. Pete started his career in sports radio, working on the Jim Rome show, but then quickly transitioned to children's animation, which is really how most horror careers begin. He worked on Avatar The Last Airbender, Robot and Monster, and Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, my personal favorite. His first feature film, written alongside his writing partner Josh Stolberg, was Sorority Row, which led to Piranha 3D and most recently Jigsaw in the Saw franchise. He's looking forward to his second movie in that franchise, Spiral, starring Chris Rock and Sam Jackson. Pete was also the showrunner on the soon-to-be-released Medina, shot and produced in Qatar. And Josh and Pete just finished editing their show Kappa Kappa Die for CW Seed, which will be released this spring. Pete and I talked about how to use quarantine to start a writing practice, if that's something that sounds fun and cathartic. We also take a walk through his IMDb, hitting everything from Sorority Row all the way up through Spiral and hitting on Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. And then we debut the extremely unofficial Pete Goldfinger Quarantine Film Festival. Five movies he picked that would be excellent to watch to learn about screenwriting. I hope you enjoy this one, and more than that, I hope you and yours are staying safe out there. With that, here's Pete. Lock it up, very quiet and still. Ready. Scene one, take three, A mark. Right. Born in, the, born, in the, born in the born in the time of coronavirus. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So few people have actually read that that I've heard the, yeah i know I do we know. like baby zoomers corona yeah. kids what do we what's the oh, that's really funny yeah, yeah that's gonna so be true. all right so you want to get this thing going yeah let's get going um pete goldfinger thank you for coming on to industry town it's a pleasure to have i'm you. so glad to come on and let me ask you this so people are gonna are gonna hear this and see it they are going to mostly hear it they okay. We're, we will have video and I'll use a very little bit of it for like promotion and things like okay. that. Okay. Well, I apologize to all the people that have to see it. You shouldn't have to look at this. So we can just, you know, you we can, can pixelate you out. We can just have it on me. I was able to get some yeah. trying to balance yeah. my lighting. I yeah. actually, I, I'll tell you, I showered, I washed my hair and I put on a shirt with buttons and a collar for this. Just I, my hair is it. still wet from taking a shower, fresh shirt, but you know something? I'm keeping the sweatpants. You're keeping the sweatpants. Sweatpants are staying on. I oh. saw that Target, or what? maybe it was Walmart, saw an increase in uh, tops sales, like shirts and whatnot, and yeah. a massive decrease in bottoms. <laughs> and that, that's a real news story, and I, I yeah. love that. Yeah. Just, no, it's true. So well, I haven't included what my pants situation is, and I'm going to leave that yeah. to everyone's imagination. The imagination. Let, let, exactly. the, let the viewer guess. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> what does it sound like I'm wearing? That's... <laughs> so um you know I, I was really excited about having you on i've actually thought about asking you for a while and then this moment kind of created a nice vacuum uh, to, to reach out yep. i i mean we've met a handful of times but i've never actually gotten to have a, a nice conversation with you we always bump into each other at the film festival or at the studio for a minute and i've always wanted to actually chat with you and get to know you so i'm really excited you don't actually have a podcast do you brian no no this is this <laughs> microphone is made of styrofoam um, it's it's nice that you're doing this because my wife just is my pretend guest most of the time. So oh, okay, yeah, no, I'm happy to do it. That's what I'm. I'm a big fan of the of John Rosenfeld. You know, in general, I yeah. always like to try to do anything for his people. Oh well, that's very sweet. That is very sweet. Um, and he's a proud uh, presenting sponsor of this, and uh, and's been a great guest on it. So yeah, I'm sure he's going to be happy to hear this. So I wanted to start with. Um, I want to start with with the present moment and talk about that just a little bit before we get into you and every cool thing that you've done. How are you handling this time? Uh, do you see it as an opportunity? Has it been a huge pain in the ass? Well, yeah, it's funny because there's a couple of thoughts. One is uh, I was just telling somebody yesterday that for me, you know, I see all these people that are out of work and and you know working at home. And I feel like <clears throat> now I don't have to feel bad about not working because nobody is, you know. Um, <clears throat> but that's then, of course, after the first few days, you realize, okay, I got to get back to work. But my writing partner and I were just talking and it's, it's surprisingly hard 
to work at home when you don't normally. And, and the funny thing is we both work. He works at the mall, which is so stupid. I can't even. He begin. works at the mall. But I work at coffee shops, which I think is much better. And so the only difference to my life you would think is I just don't work at the coffee shops anymore, but it's not that simple. It's, it's, it's a space, you know, it's a space that you work in that, you know, and it, it really is proving, and we're both talking about this. It's proving very difficult, even though our family gives us space, it just, it doesn't have the same zhuzh that you, you know, that you're used to, but it's, it's coming. And it's, uh, in some ways, I, I, my biggest concern is for everybody else, but my life hasn't changed all that much. And I do appreciate the time spent with my family, but you know, the forced family time. But, um, you know, it's basically just the only anxiety is just, you know, thinking of others and, and hoping that they're all going to be okay, you know? Well, I, first of all, it's really kind impulse and I, and I echo that, but tell me a little bit, what, what is the normal ritual for you? What does the coffee shop look like? Is it always the same oh, time of day? Um, so is it the same it, shop? What is oh, it? It's so funny. So I, um, I realized that about a year, so I, I sold my car four years ago because I realized that I don't need a car enough to have one. Okay. And so then I got a scooter. And I got a really nice helmet. There's, there's my scooter. You can see it right there. Ooh, beautiful. And I don't know if you can see. This is my helmet. And so every day I get out, I get up, and I, uh, I walk the kids to school, have my coffee, and then I get on my scooter and I go to one of many coffee shops. I, I like Groundworks in Valley Village. I like um, Blue Bottle, which is over on uh, near Trader Joe's which I really like. My wife can't have blue bottle without starting to kind of like rip away at her hands though. She, the caffeine hits her so intensely. She turns (laughs) into Lady Macbeth for a minute. Yeah. Yeah. But that's the lifeblood of the writer. So we're, we're used to that much caffeine. But the great thing I like about the, about the blue bottle is um, it's right next to Trader Joe's. So I sort of, when I take a break, I just sort of sneak in and go to the one white, one bite bistro, you know, they have that one bite bistro where you can just have a bite. So that's my, you know, my little break. Um, And then I usually work till I work, on creative stuff till about twelve thirty one, so that's usually nine to one one thirty. And then, sorry if that dog keeps barking, I'm going to put him in the house. And then I, um, and then the rest of the day, I come home. I sort of am near adjacent to the family, and that's when I do a lot of proofreading and a lot of my business stuff. Like, uh, hey Bruno, 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 get over here, Bruno, 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 come, Bruno. Got our first cameo of the podcast in here. Um, so then the the second part of the day is usually when I'm a little gassed, you know, because creatively speaking, you can only go for so long, I think as a writer, you know, Stephen King, who's so prolific, he usually, I read that he usually stops working at about one or two and yet he creates so much. And I think it's just because you, you can only put in so much creative time. So the second half of the day is dealing with business stuff, phone calls, meetings, you know, proofreading that kind of, that sort of thing. Are you good at shutting off the outside world? Do you look at your phone during that time? Do you check email? Or are you able to just sit down and go? <laughs> well, I'm getting, yes. The answer is yes, but I know how hard that can be. And I often tell people who are just starting writing or any creative process, you know, don't do the thing where you're like, okay, tonight I'm going to unplug everything and I'm going to just for four hours, I'm going to work. It doesn't really work that way. What I would do is, and I've, I've done this myself, is turn off all your electric devices and disconnect from the internet for a half hour or 45 minutes. I now do about an hour and then I'll just take 10, 15 minutes to just totally go to my website to do my thing. But I definitely, I don't need to do that as much anymore, but sometimes like with what's going on right now, I need to shut it off because there's just so much information and it's just, you know, you, you want to stay on top of things, but you really do need a reminder to disconnect, you know? So have you found that the learning curve is back for you in terms of creating a, a good work environment, a good work habit now that you're having to do that at home? No, <laughs> it's getting better, but no. I mean, the, the good news is we just finished a script that we were going to go out with, but now because of the coronavirus, we're, we're putting it on hold. Because even though it's funny, you get a lot of people asking for scripts. They're like, oh my God, yeah, we want to read those guys. We want to read that script. But as our agents are saying, they're not really in the same, much like us, they're not really in that space yet to, they want to read it, but they don't, they can't commit to what it would take to, <clears throat> you know, maybe buy or make creative decisions or, or things like that. So we're waiting. So partially because of that, I've, I've been, we've been a little bit slowed down, but we're ramping up again on this other project. So, you know, we'll get going on that. So what does the habit look like at home right now? How do you, how do you, cause I think a lot of people are at home and they want to be creative and they share, you know, four walls with, with their family or with their loved one, their partner or whatever. And it's hard to actually sit down and create that space for yourself when you can't leave the house. Oh my God. Well, you know, it's, it's interesting. One of the biggest problems in our house right now is we have three chargers for three computers and yet somehow there aren't enough chargers. I can't explain what that is, but one of the chargers is at a place where you can't work at it. 
So the other two charges are kind of where workspaces are. And yet, my, particularly my daughter just cannot keep her, her stuff charged. So fortunately for us, we, we do have enough space that people can always find a, a room to go to. We have, there's four of us and, and we have, you know, a few bedrooms and some places and, and little nooks. Like right now I'm outside. This is a place I really like to work. So, <clears throat> you know, every day I'll tell you one thing I do do is when I go to the coffee shops in the morning, I, I always um, buy a cup of coffee and I bring a kind bar for like a, a light snack. And so every morning after I walk the dogs, which is normally when I'd walk the kids to school, I come in and I say to everybody, okay, I grab, a, I make a cup of coffee and I grab a kind bar and I say, okay, everybody, I'm going out on the back porch and, and I'll sit there for a couple hours because, and everybody knows I've gone to work, you know? So that's what I just started doing that. And it's been really helpful, you know, to really just say, this is my work time. <laughs> so you call it out, you call it out for yourself, you call it out for your family and they're able to oh, yeah. respect yeah, that yeah. time. And yeah. absolutely. Absolutely. So this t- leads right into one of the things I wanted to ask you because, you know, you're somebody who's clearly had a writing habit for a very long time. Um, my guess mm-hmm. is you've helped a lot of people create their writing habits. Mm-hmm. I'm sure there are a lot of people who right now want to use this time creatively, but have trouble starting that habit. They don't have the, the, the language to do it or the, or the ritual of it is maybe the more the right word. And mm. then it's also hard to get yourself to fucking do anything right now. Uh, it all, mm-hmm. you know, the, it all feels like a morass. You could, there's so many distractions. It's hard to feel like what's, what's the point. Um, do you have any advice for people who want to start writing but don't know where to begin? Yeah, that's it. And this is, this is a, it now is the perfect time to do the thing I always tell people to do. I always tell people to read scripts. If, if you want to create your own content, read scripts. It's great to watch them, but when you read them, you can sort of see on the page, oh, okay, so page 18, that's where the first act break is. Okay, page, you know, 65 is the low point, and, you know, page 90 is, you know, 88 is the break into the third act, and it's always changing. You know, when I first started, um, when I first started writing, little things, but the act break usually came, the first act break usually came around page 25 and scripts were 120 pages and for screenplays. And now first act is usually 15 pages and the script is about 99 pages and it's always changing. So what I would tell people is submerge yourself in, in reading stuff and also, and how great is this? Watch everything, be up to date on everything. Watch every pilot that came out this, that started this year. Watch the, you know, any new show, watch the pilot of, um, and try to watch things not, you know, I always tell people, I'm going to, my goal is to ruin all enjoyment you have watching anything because when I watch things, I'm always like saying, Oh, okay. That's, you know, that's the inciting incident. Oh, oh, okay. This character isn't, this character conflict is interesting because it'll last 20 episodes. It'll, you know, last 200 episodes because X, Y, and Z, you know, Oh, this, this pilot didn't work. And here's why, you know, like I'm always assessing it and learning from it. And this is such an easy thing to do right now because there's nothing else to do, you know? So if people are looking at scripts, I feel like we've hit a couple of the questions, but let's just get real explicit with it. What are, if people could ask themselves like five questions while they're reading screenplays, I feel like you threw out there, you know, where, where's the first act break? Where is the low point? What are, what are some other things that you feel like they could if, learn? If you're reading a screenplay? Um, okay. <clears throat> yeah. So I always like to see where the first and act break is and where the second act break is. And cause it, it's, it really varies. And the other thing is, Read a, read a, read a, sorry, I know you're asking what you're looking for, but make sure you're reading new scripts because it's, it's, the business changes so much. Like the romantic comedy, I'm glad to say is back now, but it was in just the deep freeze for five years and nobody knew it until they realized they weren't making them, you know? Yeah. But, uh, so read current scripts. Um, you're looking for the first act break. You're looking for the second act break. Big question is, especially if it's, um, if it's, if it's something that's new or a newer script is why did this get made? What was it about this script that made a studio say, I, I want to buy this? That's a big thing to look for. Um, <clears throat> what are the other things that I'm looking for in every script? Um, 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 oh, uh, uh, you know, certainly like what the genre is. I mean, that's, a, and that's kind of an easy one, but you should always like, because sometimes things fall between the cracks. Like, oh, oh, here's a, sorry, here's a good one. Are the characters clear? What is it about this character that makes you say, oh my God, I know who this character is. There's an old line, it's not mine, you've probably heard it, which is you should be able to cover the character's name on a script and know who's talking because that, every character has its own voice. So definitely look for that. And definitely look for like, what are, what are the things about it that you find to be cool? What, oh, here's, sorry, now, now they're off. Now I'm thinking of all of them. Now um, I always like to say, what was the scene? Like whenever I have an idea for a movie, I always think, oh, wouldn't this scene be cool? And it usually starts with, 
a movie and a scene that I think is going to be really cool. And then the whole movie comes out of that. <clears throat> like Groundhog Day, which is a real template for great movies. God, I love that movie. Well, it's a great movie. But in it, there's the scene where, you know, he, he goes back and he keeps trying to woo, not, not Rita, but the, the first girl. Like the, he, he is trying to get this girl to go to bed with him. And I always joke that that was two male writers. I was a male, you know, a couple of male, a writer and a director who thought, what's the first thing you would do if you could repeat the same day? And it'd be like, try to have sex with a woman. Like that's, you know, that's, that's like probably the first thing they thought of when they were doing this. Yep. Um, and so that's the other thing is like, what was the thing that visually the writer thought this would be really cool to see on screen, you know? And I would say that about all forms of media, not just movies, TV, everything. So I want to like define some of these terms a little bit because I think some of them, some people have heard of, but don't have a definition. And then there's also, you know, a hundred different books out there and a hundred different ways to kind of dice this. Mm -hmm. So when you say act break, what does an act break mean to you? Oh, okay. So there's three acts, obviously in a, in a movie, many people know that, but the way I always describe the first act break is it's the biggest thing that's ever happened to this person in their life. So in other words, Luke Skywalker leaves the planet he lived on, right? That's, mm -hmm. that's going to be someday, I would say like if, 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 if Phil from Groundhog Day were to be 80 years old or 90 years old and on his deathbed and his grandkids said, you know, grandpa, tell me about the, what, you know, what do you remember? What's the one moment of your life that you remember more than any other? He would absolutely say the day I got stuck in the same day. Like it's a huge event, you know, and it doesn't have to be like when you think of um, the, a movie I love called the station agent, it's a uh, Peter Dinklage's oh, first yeah. movie. The, the, the break into act one is he just leaves his very small world in New York and goes out to run a train station. But for him, that's the biggest thing that probably ever happened in his life was getting out of his existing life, you know? So it doesn't have to be big, like, blow up the world Star Wars kind of thing. It can just be small for that person. <clears throat> and then the third act, the break into the third act is, you know, it comes after something called the low point, which is when all her hope is lost, as they say. And basically it's when the sum of the whole movie comes into play for one final sort of moment. Most third acts take place in a day. Um, third acts never take place over the course of six months. So the perfect example is, is I'm, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm going into all the way back machines, but um, if you look at Rocky, okay. th that third act is his whole, the whole first two acts come, come to fruition for the third act. You know, yeah. that's the way to look at what the third act is going to be. It's, it's everything you should have set up in the first two acts, you know? Okay. Okay. So that makes sense to me. So the third act for Star Wars in your mind, that's going blow to up the Death Star. Blowing up the Death Very Star. simple. How are we going to blow up the Death Star? Let's blow up the Death Star. What's the wrinkle? What's the problem once you get into, once you've made all these plans, what goes wrong? And what goes wrong is Darth Vader shows up and then Han Solo comes and saves the day. You know, I, I, one thing I really like is um, you may know the movie Zoolander. Yeah. Um, there's a look that he can't do that's called, I think, Magnum. And it's, it's Ben Stiller sort of making a play on the wrinkle, which is in the third act, he's got to do the Magnum. Like the wrinkle is, oh my God, it's like the karate kid. You remember the, the, um, oh, the crane, the Cobra? Right? Yeah. Whatever it is. Yeah. yeah. It's that. I mean, he's making a play on that wrinkle that can, you know, he gets his, he gets his legs swept and now the wrinkle is he's got to, you know, do the Cobra or whatever the thing is. Uh, you know, so anyway, that's, uh, yeah. So those, those are, those are what, what act breaks are and where they are. Okay, cool. Let's talk about character for a second. Any, any hints on dialogue, writing dialogue, figuring out, you just said a second ago, that lovely piece of that you should be able to cover up the name and know who's talking. Mm -hmm. So in terms mm -hmm. of finding that, do you have any tools for that? Do you have any, is, is there a way that you work to find dialogue? Well, yes. A, a couple things I would say is, you know, all going back to, you know, Pride and Prejudice and, and Taming of the Shrew, you know, all characters are, are opposites. You know, you want opposites to create conflict. So, you know, I always like to, the example I use is, again, from a million years ago is the Shashank Redemption, which is you have two characters, black, white, old, young, affluent, not affluent, guilty, not guilty, like everything, they, they couldn't be more opposite, street smart, book smart, you know, and so that's where your conflict is going to come, you know, and it doesn't mean like if, if you're writing TV, say, for example, opposites can occur, it's not just one opposite, like, for example, you see when jo in Friends, when you see Joey uh, with Ross, it's smart guy, stupid guy. Yeah. When you see Joey with Chandler, it's gets the ladies, doesn't get the ladies. When you see Joey with Monica, it's, you know, neat, sloppy, you know. But you don't see a lot of stuff with Joey and Phoebe. You know, why is that? Well, 
they're both they're pretty similar. much the outliers. They're yeah. too similar. So you, you can't create a lot of friction between those two characters. That's the one thing. The other thing, and, and I've been talking about this a lot lately, so it's on my mind, is um, I have a lot of writers that want to have these nuanced characters, which is what we love. We love a, a complicated, nuanced character. The problem is it reads confusing on the page. So I'm not saying to like make stereotypes, but don't, like if you do something where I had a student say, that I had a student write a character the other day who was... Um, in the description, it's described as something like um, loves science, um, you know, blah, 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 and can name uh, any musical that by song from the last five years or something. And I'm like, well, it's complicated, but, but I just, I'm having a hard time knowing what that looks like, you know? Yeah. So you can, I would say, write that idea into the, into the work of the screenplay, because that is interesting, but don't describe them as that. Because when, that's why so many people say things like, you know, imagine, you know, Jonah Hill meets, you know, um, Don, you know, uh, uh, The Rock, you know, or something like that. They, they, the, a lot of times people describe characters by merging two characters um, because they want you to just know who it is. You know, a lot of times people will just say a Will Ferrell type for their description because they want the, they, they want the reader to know the voice, you know. And if you complicate that voice in the description, they're lost, you know. So make it, make it simple if you can. You know. So is the idea that there are character archetypes and that what you need to do is work in archetypes, but then find your unique version of that archetype? I, I think that's exactly right. Okay. I couldn't say any better. I feel you like know, it sounds, wrap my it head sounds awful that. when you say archetype because people already think, no, I can do better than an archetype. Well, good. Do better than archetype, but start with an archetype. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, do you do anything about actually finding the voice of a character? Because that's kind of describing their essence, their point of view that you're talking about. Like I've heard people say, I'm trying to remember, I just heard a writer say this the other day, and I'm blanking on the name. It was in some podcast, but they talked about that when they write, they originally write um, thinking of their family members or friends, and then eventually they change the name. But they're thinking, okay, I know how this person talks. I know mm -hmm. I can hear it. I can follow that. And so I'm just going to write how my cousin talks. And then eventually I'll, I'll put in the name and that's how it'll be specific and authentic and a voice I can hear. Do you do anything like that? Do you go the opposite direction? Oh yeah. And also, I, I mean, I'm, I hate to say it, I also think about actors, uh, uh, actors work, like people, people that who's, who've done a really good job. Um, you know, we were just writing something and uh, I, I, a series that I, a horror series that is very gratuitous, but is a guilty pleasure of mine is um, all the Rob Zombie movies. Mm -hmm. And I love um, Sherry, Sherry Moon, his, his wife, Sherry Moon Zombie in those movies. And so I recently wrote something where I was thinking about her while writing it because it, it was kind of a perfect, you know, for this particular thing, you know, yeah, um, voice was, was clear, to, clear you. to you. Yeah. Yeah. And then the other thing I'd say is just um, it, it, always it's, I feel like the lead character is always a bastardized version of myself, you know, and it, it, it's so funny because when you look at, you know, Ben Stiller and then there's an actor named Mark Fierstein, he does a lot of TV and he's like this sort of attractive Jewish guy. And it's like a lot of times you see guys like that getting so much work and because it's always, you know, sadly, it's almost always written by Jewish men, you know, and like Mark Fierstein and, and Ben Stiller are the better version of them. Who can be the <laughs> avatar for that. For that yeah, that's, that's right. Graphic. That's right. Okay, well, okay. that makes sense. So tell me, I want to I imagine that you get to curate a film festival for everyone who's listening right now. It's five nights long. There's one movie each night. And mm -hmm. these are movies that people could watch. And then if they read the screenplay, they would learn something about writing. That these, like, these five movies arbitrarily make me. Oh, I love want to make question. it three or six. I love this question so play. much. It's really, um, really hard. And let's, um, yeah, so right. are there ones that come to mind? How would you okay, curate I'm gonna Goldfinger right. Festival? So, like, um, let me tell you, I'm going to tell you some movies that I would not use. Okay. I would not do The Godfather because it's probably my favorite movie, but it is dated. I mean, you, you're never, you're not going to write The Godfather. You're not going to write a two and a half, three hour movie. So, well, damn it. Now I got to throw out this screenplay I've been working on. Yeah, yeah. You're working Thanks, on um, all right. Let's see. God, this is such a good question. Um, well, if you, if you want to do horror, I would do The Thing. Um, I love the thing, and I, I just also think it's it's such a perfect movie, per, such a perfect horror movie. Um, a, a recent movie that I really loved, if you want to write an independent film, which so many people want to write, and this movie is perfect. It's the perfect independent film for you to write, Nebraska. Um, oh, the uh, Bruce Dern movie. Yeah, Bruce Dern movie. It's it's Alexander Payne. It's it's fantastic. But I'm trying to think of something that's more um, more big budget. Oh, certainly, if you're doing horror. I would really look at um, not, I would look at Get Out. Um, 
and, and the reason to watch Get Out is because personally, I felt like on the page, the script was okay. Uh, no offense, <laughs> no offense to the $800 million that movie made, but I thought the direction was incredible, you know, but the great thing about that movie, it's a very simple concept. The idea for those of you who don't remember the movie, but the idea not to give anything away of putting somebody's soul in another body that's been in horror forever. I mean, that goes back 50 years, yeah. but the way that it was done and the style I was like, how did that script elevate to what it became? You know, um, God, give me another minute. Cause I love this question so much. Um, uh, you know, it's so funny because I am a fan of a lot of older movies, you know, so I, I don't want to, and I don't want to use those. I'm trying to think of more current stuff. Yeah. Um, well, especially when you said that modern ones are where you would look just to kind of see what those trends are. I think it's most helpful. I think it's, it's yeah. actually most helpful for you. Um, um, oh, here's a really good one. Here's a really good one. Uh, Cassie, I'm, I'm doing a phone. I'm, all right. Hold on once. Can you put a pause on something? Wait, no, this is, you get some real life. This is my yeah, daughter. Get some real life. Bring it Cassidy, in. She's doing a newspaper and I have to, I have, I, in order for her to color it in, I have to look at it. Okay. One sec. I'm sorry. Put it on pause. No, it's fine. You, got, you wear multiple hats. You're a dad and a writer. Oh, this is so good. Okay, so good. I would have her just say bark, bark from her mouth, you know, ruff, ruff, maybe kind of thing. Great job, guys. Um, that's some dialogue look, right there. Bark, bark. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's right. There you go. Uh, uh, so wait, uh, I had another, so what, what did you just ask me? Sorry, but there's, I know I still have to give you two more. I'm just looking for modern films that you think would be good for people to watch and then either, you know, find the script afterwards or, or follow along while they're reading that would be an excellent movie that would also teach them something about good writing. Here, here's a great one. Here's a great one. And it's not that new, but I don't care because it gets mentioned in every meeting I go to. So genre, as you know, which is horror, is really popular right now. And the reason genre is so popular is it translates into any language, unlike comedy, baseball movies. like But horror, everybody understands killing. And there's not a lot of dialogue in a lot of horror movies. Um, but they also really aspire to be suspense. So even the Saw movies that I write, like they, they always use this, and I've heard this in everything I go into for other horror movies too. Everybody always mentions the usual suspects, meaning they want that great reveal of, you know, the great Kaiser Soza reveal. I would completely read that script. That, that is one that everybody should read because of the movies that are being made today specifically. Um, That's Christopher McQuarrie, right? There. What's that? That's Christopher McQuarrie who wrote that, right? Who's uh, uh, gone on to write a bunch of the... Uh, Mission Impossible movies and things like I'm that. I'm not sure, but you're probably right. I, I should. I, this is embarrassing, so I'm not. I'm going to pretend that this didn't happen. But you can go ahead and let everybody know that I didn't know. The, I didn't know who wrote it. But I. But I, but I really. I'm not sure who wrote it, but I'm sure you're right. Well, the thing that amazes me about that movie, because I love that movie when it came out. I didn't realize because I was pretty young at the time how young the filmmakers were. That was Brian yeah. Singer directing that. All these yeah. people who I just assumed they must have been, you know, making movies for 30 years already. And it turned out these guys. Oh are my God. But look, young. Yeah, same with uh, <clears throat> all those movies that Francis Ford Coppola and Martin Scorsese, excuse me. <clears throat> they were so young when they made those movies. Um, wait, I had an, <clears throat> I had one more movie that I was going to suggest as I coughed my way through it. Oh, one, one more cough. <clears throat> Now we need to worry. Aren't you, aren't you glad I'm not coughing out of the screen? Because, you know, you can catch coronavirus through the screen. It's true. Here's it's true. I'm sitting six watch. feet back, though. We're social distance podcast. Yeah, we're social distance. Uh, I would totally watch the pilot or read the pilot for Breaking Bad. Ah. I know that's not a movie, but that TV show and that particular pilot, you know, where I don't know if you remember the opening of him. With the, the opening of that RV. TV show is him driving an RV wearing a gas mask in his underpants. I mean, that, that's the greatest opening to a TV show I've ever seen. And the pilot is incredible. So if we had to ask, if you had to pick one of your screenplays that you just stand for the most. Um, They've never been made is the problem. It's every, every screenplay that I've written that has not gotten made is the one that I would hold up as the template. Um, let's see. Let's see. Well, I'm gonna, I'm, I'm, you're going to laugh, but my, the lowest rated movie I think I've ever written is a movie called Sorority Row. That's the first um, one, right? That's the first feature. That's the that first got, one. And I, yeah. I will say that the screenplay for that I was really happy with. Um, and this, this is nothing against the director who think I did, who I think did a really good job. There was one sort of hole that we left him that he didn't clean up. So I'm going to blame him for not cleaning up our mistake that I think really hurt that movie. Um, <clears throat> so, and then Piranha is just, a, yeah. Uh, let's see. Well, the one we have coming out, we have, you know, we, we have this spiral. spiral with, with Sam Jackson and, and Chris Rock that I'm really excited about. And I really like the script for, you know, the problem is a lot of times, you know, when, when you write a script, 
it gets edited so much. It has to be. It has to be the director's vision. It has to be. There's no other way to do it. If if you're not if you're the writer and you're not going to direct it, you shouldn't even be on set. I mean, we've been we've been on set for every movie we've made except Piranha, which we're glad for. But we always tell ourselves we are not here to do anything but be at the service of the director, which is, I think, why they let us come. But it has to be one vision. And the problem is a lot of times they cut about 10 pages just for the sake of time. And, you know, and then we get blamed when something's missing later, you know? <laughs> it's like we wrote that scene. It just didn't get shot, you know? Well, bringing up Sorority Row makes sense to me because that was also the first one. There's, uh, I would imagine you have less of a reputation for your first one, less of a name. And so the odds are that thing is going to have to do more of the lifting, Right, right. Just because your reputation doesn't exist as much yet. So yes, yes, but it did not do very well either commercially or financially. I should add. But there's a couple of we we, we won a couple of like horror awards for that for best kill. Uh, but there are a couple. Of, I mean, horror awards like some guy in his basement who has like some horror awards. I don't know. I don't know what they were, but you know, there's some good well, stuff. Did it not do very well? Because I'm looking at IMDb Pro, which I don't know how much I can rely on this, but it says it cost $12 million and made 27 worldwide. I know that 27 isn't the number people want, but if you more than double your budget, isn't that considered profitable? Yeah, I guess you're right. I, I, I never thought of it that way. Um, and, we, and by the way, it, it, we do very well in residuals, so I know that people are still watching it. I've heard of Massage Your Ego, man. And just my, hope fix, is it just you know, old ways. my hope is that it just passes straight into cult classic. You know, and, and when you say, I hope it passes into cult classic, you're really just, you're just hoping. I mean, there's no reason it should. <laughs> you're, you're ignoring, you're ignoring the, 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 the movie, you know, the movie itself. But anyway. So I think I'm also going to email you that question about a uh, curated, the, the Pete Goldfinger five-day film. Yeah, festival. I'd like, I'd like to have you a have, more time. To, if like you have any more thoughts on that, I'm going to include that as some of the social media promotion on this. So if people want to like, uh, maybe as a podcast, we'll watch one a night or something like that. And then people can uh, yeah, yeah, you know, share on social media or something their thoughts really on it. Yeah. Uh, do you have any resources? I mean, look, there's Google. People can get creative, so I don't need you to solve some basic problems for people. But do you have an easy way to get scripts that are available for everybody? Is there a site that you think is particularly good? So say it one more time. I, as you can probably hear, I got a helicopter uh, going overhead, but I did turn up my volume. You say it one more time. Is there any website or, or, or tool where you th- find that people can get a lot of these more modern scripts where they can actually follow along with a shooting draft and not just, you know, somebody... This is the key. This is the total key to this. You can't get all of them, but boy, you can get most of them. And what you do is in the Google, you write the title, you write screenplay, and very important, you write PDF because you're going to want it in a PDF. A lot of times you can find like a crappy version of it, but the PDF is the one you want. And most of it is out there. Yeah. Wonderful. Okay, then that, that's, a good, that's a good thing for people right there. Um, so uh, the last thing I want to ask that's just about kind of getting started in writing and that, that section of the podcast. For people who um, are struggling during this time, it's a weird time. It's a weird time emotionally and financially. We've talked a little bit about maybe how to start a writing practice, um, you know, disconnect for half an hour at a time, start, you know, creating space for yourself. Do you have any exercises for people who just need to use writing as like a catharsis or as some kind of um, emotional way to process what's going on? Well, you know, I, I swear to you, we're, I was just talking to my wife about this because I, I, I'm trying to come up with a class for this very thing. And it, and it would be a prompt class where you, you, I put forward a prompt, a poster, a sculpture, a, a something, and you just write about that for 15 minutes. You can write anything you want. It may not even relate to the prompt, but it's just something to get you started. And a lot of times when I've done it, just I do it sometimes in my classes, every now and then somebody comes up with a, with a great idea. The other thing I would do is just come up with, lo- read a lot of log lines and just write a log line. Like see what's out there. Oh, this is another one is go through if you can. Uh, go, oh, this is a, sorry, this is a really good exercise. Okay. Go to yeah. Apple uh, and watch all the trailers. See what's getting made. And write down, okay, I went to the Apple website and I wrote down, I watched all the trailers from the studios, not, not independents. You can do some of those, but the big six, you know, uh, Universal, New Line, uh, Lionsgate, all that. See what they're making and then write down, oh, interesting. You're, you're going to be surprised to find that 40% of them are horror suspense, you know, only like 5% are romantic comedy. And, and see what they're making because you want to give yourself the biggest target you can. If you're a new writer, you want to make a target that's big enough to hit, you know, a lot of times people come to me with this great idea about they want to write a story about a, a pe- person that goes back to their hometown from Los Angeles. They're an actor and they go back to their hometown because they, everybody thinks they're a, like a, they're the shit back at home because they did an episode of Will and Grace, but they're really just, 
And I get that idea a lot and I never discourage it because I think it's a writing what you know is a good thing, but those are really hard things to get made, you know? So don't try to take on something too big, find something in your wheelhouse. You know, what, what do you like? What do you like to write? But definitely watch a lot of trailers that that's a way to really find something, you know, and then just come up with a log line and then bounce your log line off a couple people, you know, <laughs> what I, would I like do. them. Um, are you still teaching classes during this time? You know, I, I have, Yes, uh, I'm doing a, I'm doing one Zoom class, but I, I've been very busy. I did a, um, you know, this, this movie, the Jigsaw movie, and we also did a TV show. We did uh, six episodes of this show called Kappa Kappa Die. So I stopped for seven months, but I'm just picking it up now. But um, you, you know what? If anybody's interested in my classes or, or my courses, we probably have some stuff coming up. I'm trying to time it a little bit to go well with the festival, the film festival, the, the JRS Film Festival. Um, but you can, you can reach out to Pete's Port, P-E-T-E-S Port, P-O-R-T, uh, one, port one at gmail.com for, for any questions. But I, I'm, you know, I'm, that's not to plug, you know. <laughs> people no, are really, I think people might be interested, and I'm just writing that down to include it in the, um, in the show notes here. So port yeah. at gmail.com? Gmail.com. port one. There's a one. port one. That's important. Yeah. Um, okay, I'm going to add that right. um, to the group. Um, great. I want to call out a couple resources and charities that are really helping out and making a difference. First, I want to shout out Jenna Doolittle at Actors Rise for putting together a really incredible daily newsletter for actors with info on everything you could need. free business opportunities and workshops and casting calls, free classes, workshops, workouts, dance classes. There's also a ton of financial resources like videos on how to fill out your unemployment and a ton more. It's free to sign up and there's a link in the show notes if you're interested. Also, if you are able to donate right now and want to help, please check out Feed the Frontline Los Angeles, put on by the World Health Kitchen. You just go to wck.org to donate. They feed hospital workers in ICU and ER units throughout the Los Angeles area. Area, and they are delivering thousands of meals daily to those on the front lines of the crisis. If you're listening and you're not in LA, check out WCK.org anyway. I believe they have something for your city too. Lastly, please stay in touch with the show over social media the next couple weeks. JRS and Actor Salon are planning some free workshops and giveaways for the community. Things to uh, keep you excited and sharp during quarantine and Industry Town will be sharing and promoting all of that. So I hope you enjoy that. And for now, back to Pete. We're doing a scene change. Scene change. Beautiful. Act two. Act two. Now I am at, we've gone, we, we were talking earlier about the idea that, you know, there's, where do you go during this, uh, during this, during this time? Where do you go to do your work? And now I've had, I've been designated to the bedroom because that's where the charger is. So there you have it. <laughs> well, it's, it's a very intimate conversation that we're having. Yes, that's true. <laughs> You know, in college, a friend of mine had this idea of a, of, a, of a kind of spoof news show that would just all take place where he'd be in bed the entire time in like aggressively silly pajamas. And yeah. then any guest on the news program would have to get into bed with him and they'd like kind of cuddle and talk about important things. No one comfortable just hearing about it. Doesn't it? Yeah. Well, there's that guy who has that show called Seven Minutes in Heaven, I think, or Seven, seven Minutes, you know, that based on that old game you played as a teenager you went in the closet for seven minutes i remember the game i didn't know that someone had a show oh, about he, gets, it. he gets a lot of big celebrities to do it uh, you could look it up i'm pretty sure a friend of mine did it <laughs> incredible uh okay so i want to learn about you i want to learn where you started how did you get your start uh well i it's, it's interesting so i went to university of vermont um where i met my writing partner josh stolberg and we were comedy guys we, we still like to consider ourselves comedy guys um, i don't know if anybody else does and then in 2005, I think it was, two movies came out that killed it at the box office. It was remakes of Dawn of the Dead and the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. And my writing partner said, they're going to remake all of these movies. We got to find some titles to write and get them made. And I was like, Josh, I, I don't watch horror. He's a big horror fan. Okay. So we got the rights to Sorority, uh, Sorority Row and we got the rights to Piranha. And we wrote them and they, they, there was one moment where they both were green, officially greenlit on the same day. Oh, I never had a movie made. I'd never had a movie optioned. I'd written five, you know, and now I had two movies. Greenlit. One of them fell apart and came back together later. But um, the, the, and so that's the direction our, our train went, you know, our horse went. And so we followed it. But I, it's funny when those two movies were getting made, I said to Josh, I've now had two more horror movies made than I've seen. I was somewhat <laughs> kidding, but like other than Halloween, which I loved, and now I've seen everything and actually really enjoy it, but I was not a fan of horror. And then 
you know, as you, as they say in this business, you, you go where you, your horse is running and that's where our horse has been running. You know, that's so you, you feel happy getting kind of a reputation as a horror guy. Clearly there's some fun in a lot of the horror that you do, but there's a lot of fun. I'm, I'm so grateful to have a job in writing. You know, I, I'd never lose sight of that. Um, I, I can't say it's, it's where my passion originally lied, but I've found a lot of love for it since, you know what I mean? I still, I still love an old, you know, comedy and I still love, you know, the, the things that got me here. But, you know, when I look around, I'm, I'm so just, I'm just overwhelmed with gratitude for everything, <laughs> you know? Do you keep, are you thrilled to kind of keep going down that path as your career kind of reveals itself to you? Or, or, or do you find that you ha- keep writing other stuff too and those don't get made? <laughs> a little of both. Um, yeah, you know, uh, the other thing I would say, and this should encourage a lot of people, I didn't get my WGA card till I was 37, which is a little bit old. I mean, you know, it's, it's not, it's not so old. I mean, a lot of people kind of break in around 30, I would say that's most, most of the friends I had. So, I mean, I was really in a perilous position when, when, you know, when it all came, came for me and now I'm 52. And although there's still a lot of jobs out there, I'm definitely seeing for some of my friends, the work is a little bit going away. And it's, it's, it's not because I, I always say it's not because they're old. It's because I don't think there is a, as aggressive, they're not, they don't have the same energy for it. They don't want to, you know, as I always, as I've even said to my meeting, I'm not taking, and my, my agent, I said, I'm not taking meetings in Culver city anymore at four o'clock on a Friday. So let's just take that right out. It's not happening anymore. Well, they're all going to be zoom meetings now, Pete. So. I know. I know. It's so funny, but I, but I said to Josh, this is really the end of our careers is, is when you start saying I'm not taking meetings. That, that's where it all ends because you just, you don't have the, you're not, you're not as hungry for it as, as you once were. Um, I would sort of, one thing I'd really like to do is a TV show. Like I, I love these limited series. I loved, um, I love a lot of seasons of American Horror Story. I love a lot of seasons. Of, I love every season of Fargo. I really gotcha. would love to create a show like Fargo. Um, but I love these limited runs, these 10 episode things. And we're in the middle of, we have a pitch for one right now that we're going out with. So I, I don't know that I, I want to go back to comedy just because I don't think it's, it's, there's not so much of it out there anymore. And it's really hard. That's a really, comedy is the hardest one to break into, just so you know. It's very difficult. <laughs> They don't make a lot of them anymore. My wife and I, it's so interesting what stuff you actually choose to watch while you're on quarantine. Yeah, yeah. I had these ideas that I'd get the Criterion Collection and you know, see all these works of art that I never really exposed myself to. And no, yeah. we, we spent the first two nights watching Naked Gun 1 and Naked Gun 2 and a half. And I was so <laughs> fucking happy to yeah. watch Leslie Nielsen, who's a, just a goddamn genius. And they don't make movies like that no. anymore. There's no, nothing at that budget, yeah. nothing at that style. It's YouTube, it's because YouTube's giving it away for free. Like all these, you know, there's so much stuff, like funny stuff to see on the net that I think it's limiting people's tolerance to watch an hour and a half of a comedy. That, that's my own theory. I don't know that that's true. That's based on nothing. So <laughs> you told me you, you've got a writing partner. How, how do you guys work together? What, and, I, and I mean that really practically. Are you sharing a keyboard together? Are you uh, sharing more. a Google Doc back and forth? How does this work? No, not anymore. So we, we've reached a point, the two of us, we've known each other now, God, I think it's 30 years. Holy moly, are we old? I mean, that's, that's 30 is just too, that's like, you're a full grown up at 30. Um, but we've known each other 30 years. And um, now we literally, I will write for two days or a day or three days. And then I'll give it to him. I usually work pretty early. Like I, I sometimes am working as early as seven and then I walk the kids to school, but I usually knock off at two and then I'll give it to him. And he often works till like one or two in the morning. He's a night owl. So there's, when we're really working on something and are in the weeds, we'll be working 20 hours a day as a team, but separately. And we almost never see each other. And we talk about our projects, but we never sit in front of a keypad together. And that's come with trust. It wasn't always like that, but, but now like he'll rewrite a whole scene of mine or cut a scene of mine and he won't even give an explanation. And I'm fine with it because I know he would, he did it for a reason. I can usually tell why he did it. And if he feels like he needs a reason, he'll put it in a little script note to tell me what he did. But we never even really ask for permission anymore because it's enough. We have enough trust in each other that if one of us doesn't like it and can fix it, have at it, you know? So, but that comes with a lot of time. And I will tell you something, if you want to work with a writing partner and you want to work on a project with a writing partner, just, it better be somebody you like enough to work with for the rest of your life. Because once you're a writing partner, there's no, you got to write your way out of that writing partner. Everybody's going to want the two of you. They're not going to want one of you because they don't know where the genius comes from, you know, if we're calling it that. And the other thing I'll say is if you bring somebody onto a project to write with, and then after a week or two weeks or two months or three months, they say, you know what? I'm not into this anymore. I quit. 
just know that if you sell that project, they're going to come around. They're, that person is coming back. Even if they just came up with the idea, they're coming back. So, you know, pick people you like. <laughs> so how did that start for you, for you two? Uh, I understand that now there's, there's a lot of really good trust and teamwork, but what does that look like at the very beginning? Well, I work with a guy named Josh Stolberg, who is really the nicest man in Hollywood. And anybody would tell you that. Like he's known to just be the nicest, just unrelentingly kind people. He'd have to be to work with me because I'm not. Um, <laughs> so it's not that I'm kind. I just get, I get, um, when we're in production, I need to not be there because I, I get really upset with what I'm seeing. Um, and it's, it's not because anybody's doing anything wrong. It's just, I get very protective of the stuff we're doing and he just totally rolls with everything. He's, he's great. So mostly um, it's, it's atypical just because of how nice a guy he is. Um, but when we started, you know, we went to college together. He had a little luck actually with another writing partner. And then he, it's so funny how we got started. We, we, we started writing an animated television, you know, and we still do some of that. We did we work on um, Avatar, The Last Airbender, for those who, like, who remember that show. We, we wrote the pilot on that. And, um, and, we, and so we were doing some of that. He had another writing partner at the time. And then we, we sort of, we always wanted to work together. And then Sorority Row, he came to me with, and, and we wrote it together. And then when it got, once it got made, we were off and running, you know. And at that point, are you guys sharing a screen and computers or are you guys already then trading scenes back and forth? More than we are today. But we've always been like, usually back then it would be, I'd write in the morning, long conversation at lunch, maybe go get lunch together. And then he'd write, um, he'd write forever after that. And, and, and now we just, we don't even do the lunches. I mean, sometimes we do, but we, we, we know we, it just comes with experience. That's all. It's just experience. I mean, one of the things that, that we have going for us as older writers is, we never freak out about like, is this going to, oh no, did we write ourselves into a corner? Are we ever going to finish the script? Because we know we're going to. We've just done it enough. But as a new writer, you have more imagined, like we've seen so much failure, even though we've seen so much success that we have a lot of doubt in what we write. We don't write as fearlessly as we once did, which is what all of you out there who are writing for the first time have. You know, it's like rock, it's like, you know, music, musicians, they, they have this burst of energy young. But once they get a little, you know, once they start flying around on jets, it, it, not that, believe me, we're not flying around on jets, but, you know, once you sort of land where you are, it's, it's hard to sort of rally that passion, you know, that you had from, at the beginning, you know? So tell me a little bit, let's talk about Sorority Row. Um, you said he brought that to you and that that was already like a, was that a title that already existed? Is this technically a remake? That's a remake. There was a movie called uh, House on Sorority Row, I think was the original movie. And, and I don't know, I can't remember. I think Mike Cars, a producer named Mike Cars, came to him and said, we have the rights to Sorority Row. And then he had a big idea. Josh had a big idea. For, so that's the other thing about a writing partnership. He is so good at coming up with big ideas. I, I, do, I think he would admit that I do a little bit more of the pen to page stuff, but he comes through afterwards. So that's another way that we write. I usually take point, we call it. I go first and he comes through. But the great thing about me going first is that I can just leave shit behind me that didn't work and he'll just clean it up as he goes. And I, I you know, people, he, he, that's a lot of work he does. And he comes up, he's really good at big ideas. So he had the idea for the initial kill in Sorority Row. That's in horror, that's what you call them, the, the kills. Um, and it was really good. And so that, that kind of drew me to the idea. And then everything went from there, you know. So if you guys are pitching on this idea, do you remember what that initial pitch was? Do you remember what like, got you super excited and was your in? Oh my God. I, I just can't remember. I can't remember. I mean, Mike Cars had the rights to it. So that was, and we were friends. So that was the start of it, but I, I just can't remember. So um, part of it's just relationships. It's not just that you felt like you had one banger of an idea and you, and you blew them away there. It's, it's relationships. Oh, and this is kind of how it all worked out. It's, it's, I can tell you it's all relationships. I mean, I'm not going to go into it right now, but, but presently we have a script that we went to a studio with that we loved. Uh, it was, we thought it was a perfect fit for the studio and they didn't, they didn't buy it. And later we found out they're doing something very similar. And without going into too much detail, if we had had a better relationship with that studio, which we had none, you know, it could have been us that was doing this project, you know? And so it, relationships are just so key, you know? Relationship, relationship, relationship. Well, yeah. I'm not going to spend too long on Sorority Row, but I do have to ask, how is Carrie Fisher? <laughs> Uh, she was great. I mean, we kept our distance. We were so intimidated by her that, uh, yeah, she was so nice, but you know, I, 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 
you know, she was there working and, and you, you just, you were writers. So we were, we kind of sheepishly said a hello, but that was about it, you know. <laughs> and how is it working on with a cast that's that young? I mean, you have wonderful actors in there, but a lot of them are people I know later than Sorority Row. Their, their, their star was still kind of rising. Was oh yeah, Jamie Chung, Jamie, Jamie Chung in particular. I mean, she was brand new um, and she was great. And then um, it was really, I mean, they had such a great energy, all of them. And I think they're all still friends to this day, you know, for the most part. Mm-hmm. Um, there's an actress in there named Leah Pipes who played the, the main queen bee who I just love. Uh, and she, she did a lot of work after that, but oh, she was so good. She's such a good actress too. So tell me about Piranha. What was the, how do you come up with the idea for Piranha? What's the pitch like? How much is it related to the fact that 3D well, is making its, its, you know, big return okay. around that time? <clears throat> okay. So, so here's, here's something that I probably should have about Sorority 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 and Piranha were pretty much spec scripts. We, we, we didn't have the rights, so what we did is we wrote a similar script. Like the Piranha was originally called Killer Fish, but we went to the person that had the <laughs> rights to it. So that was a pretty pretty serious gamble because we put a lot of money into, I mean, a lot of time into trying to. It, it can only go to one place, you know. And so they made it, um, and so yeah, we knew they were going to do a remake of it, and then the Weinstein's picked it up. That one we had a little less to do with actual production because Alex Ajada, who's such a great horror director. He really likes to put his own spin on it, which he should and did. And so that one, uh, we were pretty much off the project, which is, that's the normal. I mean, the normal is you write, turn in a script and that's the last you see of it. But for like Spiral, we, we were working on VOs for Spiral, you know, as recently as, you know, a couple months ago, like that, that it goes on and on and on. And, and Mark Berg and Orrin Coolis have been so good to us as far as keeping us around, you know, and, uh, you know, there's a lot of times people, people be like, you know, they'll say, you know, my contract was over and they kept asking us to write and they kept asking us to do something. I'm like, that's what you want. I mean, <laughs> that's what you want. You want, you don't want to have some, if you don't do it, somebody else is going to do it, you know? So, yeah. you know, it may seem like, like a lot of work, but you, you know, it's, it's the project is at stake, at least in my mind, you know? So how is, I mean, going from something that you've got a whole bunch of newbies and young people for the most part in Sorority Row, and then you've got Richard Dreyfus, Ving Rams, Elizabeth Shue, yeah. Christopher Lloyd, Eli Roth, Jerry O'Connell. I mean, that's a lot of names. That's yeah. as yeah, a that writer. A, how are you? How are you handling all of that? Well, you're not. I mean, I'm, I'm sorry. To, I wish I could give you a more exciting answer, but again, you know, we turned in the script. We didn't know who was playing those parts. You know, yes. so we were thrilled to have them get filled in. I think Richard Dreyfus was a write-in, though. I think he wasn't. That whole scene was written in. I don't think. I don't think that scene with Richard Dreyfus at the beginning was in it. You know, but anyway. Sure. <laughs> okay. I got you. So the the story that I really want to hear the most about is clown, because um, I've heard I've heard a little bit of this tale before. Um, I think on a John Watts interview, mm-hmm. but tell me about this short film clown. Tell you tell me what you know about it. I'm just curious. So it, you're gonna love my answer. It's been a couple of years <laughs> since I've heard this story because I feel like it was around the time of Cop Car mm-hmm. when I actually heard this story told. But my memory is something along the lines of that. John Watts was trying to was said that he had um, an Eli Roth produced short mm-hmm. and that he put Eli Roth's name on it. And it was going to be about this uh, dad who put on a clown suit and then like it, the, the suit took him over and that that was the horror movie. And it was all just to sell that they had done this thing. And then Eli Roth heard about it, hadn't had any involvement and said, I think this is a wonderful idea. Let's make it something in there. Okay, so I should I should I, I I sort of set you up a little bit. Yeah, I had nothing to do with that. I don't know how it got attached. He must he, maybe he attached my name. I have nothing. I don't know what that's doing on my IMDb page. I never heard of it. I don't know anything about it. But I I leave it there because I think it's so funny. But I, I literally I have no idea why that's on my IMDb. Page. So maybe your name is there for the exact same reason Eli yeah, Roth's name is there as like this credibility yeah. indicator. Yeah, yeah, that's so funny. I didn't know that until you told me that. But that's so. so yeah, Eli Roth it got brought to his attention somehow. I wish I'd heard the story more recently and, yeah. and, and remembered oh, so every funny. detail of it. But then yeah. he said I had nothing to do with it. But holy fuck, that's a great idea. And then they yeah. made that yeah. short. And that's what led to John Watts directing Cop Car. And now he's directing Spider-Man movies. Ooh, and this all came from, you know, a lie. <laughs> a really clever lie. God, that is really interesting. That's so interesting. That's so funny. That is yeah. wild. Yeah. Uh, so how did you get involved with Saw? I mean, that was already a franchise that was, you oh know, very that, put that together. Hardest, that was the hardest job we ever had to get. We, we, 
when that when that movie finally was made, when we did our last day of shooting, I sent Orrin and Mark an email with the original email for us to go in. That, that was a cattle call, you know, for all these people who hate cattle call. That they had every writer in town come in, and we had an idea that Orrin Coolis really liked, and we didn't hear from him for fourteen months. And he was like, you know, we had some other writers come in, but I keep coming back to that one idea, and so. We started working with him, but we had to get Lionsgate on board. So the email I said that I sent him of our initial meeting with him was six years prior to the day we finished shooting. And it took four years to get that into production and and all working for free. We weren't getting paid anything until we got offered a contract. And so we just, you know, because there are seven, as you mentioned, there are like seven producers on that. And you have to get it through seven producers to get it approved. Um, But the funniest part is our initial idea that Oren loved so much that got us the job we let go of before we started writing the script. So this initial thing that he loved so much, we, we eventually let go of and did something completely different. Um, but, but writing those, those scripts is, is not only the hardest job I've ever had as a writer. I mean, I'm not, you know, it's not like going to Vietnam. I'm not going to compare it to other jobs people have, but as far as writing goes, I've never had to do more work because you have to get it through so many producers and they, and they're really, they take it very seriously. Some movies, those are not, I mean, we, maybe we don't always deliver on them, but, but the idea and coming up with these cool reveals and all that stuff, it's so hard. And even when you have a good one, you have to get seven people to think it's a good one, you know? Um, so, so we got very lucky in that. I mean, it was just a cattle call for all the people who say, I'm not going to cattle calls anymore. We didn't really like going to cattle calls either, but it was saw. So we're like, all right, we'll go. And we went and so did everybody else in town. And, um, it, we were certainly no better writers than the other writers who went in. We just happened to have an idea that they liked, you know? So what kind of preparation do you do for that? Are you, are you just binging Saw movies left and right and kind of jotting down ideas? I've watched the entire Saw series probably four times. Um, and at that moment, at the time I was called and I'd only seen the original. Um, and, and so you have to, because if you pitch something that they've already seen and they've seen everything, you know, so one of our pitches later in the game, after we'd already established ourselves with them, was a pitch that was Saw 7, and nobody noticed it. We were pitching basically the same idea as Saw 7. Not really, but it was so close, too close. And one of the producers, after like five, were like, yeah, that's good. It was like, wait a minute, we did that. And it was one idea to it. It was just too big a night. It was part of it, and it was too big, so we let it go, you know. But um, yeah, that's a, that's a, that's a bear of a, it's, it's, it couldn't, it's just wicked hard. <laughs> Do you remember what that initial idea was that didn't even end up getting used that they loved so much? The initial idea, oh man, it was something like, it was based on the born identity. The born identity was there. Oh, there's not just one. I think there's, there was some trailer for the born identity. Was it born the, legacy? The one with, with Jeremy. Yes. Lennon? Yeah. And there was some, and he just, he really liked the idea of there's not just one. And, and the idea was that there were games going on all over the world. Um, and it, I, can't, I wish I could remember more, but I can't remember it. Um, you know, but it was, it was, you know, we couldn't make it work <laughs> at the end of the day. Well, then let's use this as an opportunity. Can you, do you have any advice on pitching? On pitching, whether it's in a cattle call or in general? A lot of people have never pitched before in their lives. Yeah. Um, it seems like you have some good experience with it. I have a lot of, yeah. I mean, I've done it a lot. I, I you know, we, we, you know, I don't know that we're great at it. We, we certainly have pitched, you know, our way into some jobs, but um, the biggest thing I always, I, I tell people now is don't read off the page that, that was more effective maybe six, seven years ago, but now everybody has a smartphone and if the, you, you want to keep their attention, like if you're reading off the page, they're going to look at their phone and you should know your pitch well enough to, it's going to become more alive if you're not reading it off the page. Um, my roommate does, I'm a roommate, Josh once was my roommate. Um, my, my, <laughs> Writing partner doesn't agree with me, um, but he's, he's agreed to do it. He still likes reading off a page because he's worried you're going to miss something. And I always say, you're not going to miss something if it's good. You'll miss something that stunk. You know? So that's one. Um, the second thing I, I would do is, all, I always say is look everybody in the eye at the table. Don't try to pitch to just the main guy, that, like the guy who's head of the studio, because the other people that are there, this has happened to me, I once got in a little bit of trouble for this, will, will remember that you did not seem to care enough about them to pitch to them. Um, and then the other thing is I always have a good preamble, you know, so I once pitched something called, uh, uh, how to be rich by 30. It was a TV show and, and it was basically based on my time. I worked at MTV, uh, when I was 35, but everybody at MTV was in their twenties. <laughs> and basically I, I started by making it 
telling the story of working there because what you're doing is you're saying, this is why this idea is relatable and this is why I'm, I'm the only person to write this. So you're trying to say, here comes a pitch that only I could write. You know what I mean? So it's good to have a preamble that sort of explains why you came up with this idea. Why you, why now? Yeah, that's right. That's right. Okay. Um, how, so talk to us about Spiral. Spiral's really exciting. Spiral, the, the newest Saw film. Um, and I remember I saw a trailer for it, I want to say a month or a couple months ago. Yeah, and, the trailer came out. Yeah. It, and, was a, it, was a, it was one of the highest, uh, had more social imprint. It did really well. And then it got pushed. <laughs> right. So it's no one it's opening. It's, it was supposed to open May 15th. Um, and it got pushed, which is uh, the least of this country's problems, certainly, uh, <laughs> at least of, my, of all of our problems. But that was a little bit of a bummer. But uh, I think the good news is Lionsgate just felt like they, they really wanted to give this, you know, they're, they're behind it is the good news. And so we're That's really excited cool. about it. Uh, Sam Jackson and Chris Rock are unbelievable. I, I certainly was curious about Chris, you know, like doing a horror movie. It seemed kind of like an interesting choice. And he is, he's so good. I mean, he's not what you, you think he's going to be, you know? Well, uh, I just remember watching that trailer and not knowing that this was going to be a Saw movie at the beginning. It felt yeah. like it had its, it just felt like a new take on it a little bit. And well, then when it revealed itself to be so, that was a fun surprise. Yeah, well, I, I, I hope you're right about that because that was very deliberate. It was, it was to try to make it, to bring it into a new place a little bit, the, the franchise. You know, that's, that's what you're always trying to do when you, when you this, this, is, this wouldn't be called a remake. Uh, it would be called a reboot, you know, and it yeah. wouldn't be called a sequel. It's a reboot, you know, you're sort of rebooting something, you know. And it says Chris Rock, I'm, I'm just looking at IMDb, so obviously some of this stuff can be wrong, but Chris has a story by credit. Is that correct? Uh, I'm, I'm not sure where that's going to land, but he's certainly contributed a lot. I mean, that, that has to be decided by the, um, by the, the guild. Uh, so I, he might get a story of credit. He certainly contributed to story, you know? So uh, was this an idea that you guys had, he gets cast and then he starts adding stuff or was it somehow that Chris Rock got connected to everyone oh, it was involved? His idea. The whole, I mean, I, the idea for him to be in, in a Saw movie was entirely his idea that he had a, he had an absolute idea for how that should be. And, and in that sense, he not only uh, he not only was there at the beginning, he was at the beginning. <laughs> so know? that movie was not existing in its current Never form until Chris Rock makes a phone call and says, I want to be involved in this, and then we're going to get the gang back together. And, and Chris Rock says, I want to do a song movie, and everything from that moment became writing a song movie for Chris Rock. <laughs> That's really fun. When does yeah. Samuel L. Jackson come on board? Late, and we were so happy to get him. Uh, he, he came on, you know, he, the, the part was already written, so it wasn't, he, he, he made it his own, but, but we didn't write a part for him. He, he came in just, uh, I mean, I don't think we had him signed until a week before shooting, so it was pretty late. Holy cow. You yeah, said that so he, happy to have him. Oh you said God. that he made it his own. What, is that, what does that mean? It means putting a motherfucker on the end of it. No, I'm kidding. Uh, <laughs> you know, no, he just, you know, he has his own thing. I mean, he's just, he's, he's, he's such a force and such a pro. I just want to say, like, that, that guy... If you're a director, you better know what his character is, is there for in every scene or he will call you out, you know. Um, he's a real serious, serious actor, you know, for sure. Yeah, he takes his work very seriously. Very so, seriously. Yeah. What did, so what advice do you have for actors working with writers? Because I feel like... Um, I feel like that's a scary one in that, you know, gosh, if you're Samuel L. Jackson you're part of the reason the movie exists in the first place. It's a lot easier. You have a huge track record, but do you want to have any, any real interaction writer to actor, especially if it's people who are, who are fighting the way up? I would try to keep the actor and the writer as far apart as possible. Really? Because it's the thing that I, I, you know, I, I've, I've even said this when, when I've, you know, Orrin and Mark are always so great to include us and I'm so glad that they want our input. But sometimes I feel like, you know, I don't want to step on the director's toes because at the end of the day, it has to be the director's vision. You can't have more a writer's vision, even a producer's vision. It's the director's movie, you know? And so I try to stay, I try to stay out of that, you know? Were you involved that much with this shoot? I know in general, you're saying you're not that involved. My, my, this is going to sound so lame, but my writing partner was there the whole time. Um, I go to Maine every summer okay. and it's sort of a pretty serious contract I have with my kids that, that we work really hard all of us, the whole family. And then we go away for the summer. And I just, I, I have a little, I have some misgivings about it, but at the time I was just really enjoying Maine. And so I decided not to go. <laughs> I I mean, it was that, a that sounds like somebody living their life in the exact right way. Um, but it yeah. does mean, 
It does mean to me that because uh, I'm looking at the IMDb for Spiral and I see that Josh is playing a police officer, so he's he's double dipping that, here. That's that's what you get. That's what you get when you uh, that's what you get when you show up on set. You get to be in the movie. <laughs> um, that's funny. Okay, well we're, we're we're nearing the end here. I wanted to ask you just a couple um, last questions. Anything that I kind of missed? Sure. Um, one thing I meant to ask earlier, just about getting started in general. Do you have any writing books that you particularly think are are good points of entry or ones that you you know? Again, this is just a this one person's taste and it's not saying it's bad, but is there anything you say, maybe don't lean into this one and I'd, I'd prefer this one instead? Anything in there? So save the cat. I, I mean, I, it's been I mean, I, I hate to like, it's like saying McDonald's, but it's so good and it's very old. I mean, it's not always like very old. It's, you know, 25, 20 years old, but it's so relevant today as it was then. In fact, somebody once approached me about writing a book and I read that to sort of get a sense of what's out there. And I was like, no, thank you. Like, this is great. Um, some of the other ones like Robert McKee, I don't mean to, it's just a little, uh, it's a little drier, you know, um, it's all there and it's very informative, but it, it Save the Cat is just such an easy read and it's so clear what, what he's trying to tell you, you know, it's great. Okay. So check out Save the Cat. Yeah. Um, well, so I have one last question for you. I have one thing that I would be remiss if I didn't ask you about, but I'm a little hesitant at the same time. I just, I see, I see The Apprentice on here. I see that you were a story consultant on The Apprentice. What the fuck was it like working on The Apprentice? What did you do? What my is your biggest, experience on that? Biggest, one of my biggest regrets is I was on The Apprentice and we were working in LA for a month uh, on setting up the, you know, you got to come up. A lot of the work is just coming up with the ideas for the, you know, you may remember from the show, there'd be like a, I forget what it's called, but a competition, you know, where you'd, somebody have to sell a, a game. There'd be a game that the contestant has to participate in. But while we were doing that, I got offered a job working on Howard Stern, the high school years, which was a Howard Stern produced show. It was an animated show. It never got made. And my, one of my biggest regrets is, so I never went to New York with the team. The entire team went to New York and worked with him and fed him lines. And I just so wish I had gone, you know, but I didn't. So I, I never uh. met him. Yeah. Man, there'd be some I good know. stories there. Um, yeah. Well, then I'll ask one last question. Um, I see that there's a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles writing credit in here. And yeah. did, I mean, were, are you a, a longtime fan at all? Because Lord, yes. does, that's in my blood. Uh, oh, yeah. That's, oh, I, that's that my childhood just, incarnate. That was, uh, I knew the guys who did it, uh, Josh, Josh, Josh Sternan and um, his partner whose name's escaping me. Um, but, uh, and I just begged them to let me write one because I wanted to write one so bad. And uh, I, I always, I, I, some, they've hired me for some other animation because they've been on series and, and they're always like, whenever they're like thinking we should do a monster, anything to do with horror, like a monster episode. And that episode is, uh, yeah, it's, 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 it's a fun one. It's about a, it's a wasp that lays its eggs inside of, I think Michelangelo, one of them. And so the wasp is controlling. It's like a, you know, he, it's, it's, it's pretty, it's pretty dark. I mean, for a kid show, you know, <laughs> do you feel like uh, it was easy to write for the turtles or do you feel like one of them you kind of gravitated towards or one of them was more elusive? Oh, Michelangelo is the funnest one to write for. I okay. Think. Yeah, I always feel like Leonardo's got to like Leonardo's just going to be exposition dumps like left yeah, and yeah, right. Yeah. yeah, there is a lot of that. Yeah, but like, I, do you think of the four of them kind of as one unit? So everything that's kind of leadership goes to Leonardo, and everything yeah. that's fun goes to Michelangelo, and the smarts right. Donatello, and the yeah, the, the yeah, brooding Donatello, is, yeah. and yeah. that kind of divvies up the four points of view pretty simply. Yeah, Donatello is really fun to write for, but pretty easy. Um, yeah, th th those are that's an example of we talked. You know, this is nice. It circles us back to the very beginning. Four very clear voices, very different voices. It's very obvious who gets every line, you know, when you're yeah, after that. Exactly. Um, well, Pete, thank you so much for coming on the show. I really appreciate it. I am going to send you a follow-up email seeing if you have any other ideas for the Pete Goldfinger curated film festival during quarantine for people yes. of what they should watch uh, and maybe Such follow along idea. with. Um, yeah, so please feel free to send. And uh, if, you, uh, if your imagination gets away with you and you want to do one for more older things and one more modern, uh, Lord knows I think we got another month of this uh, yeah, I So I don't think it's going away anytime soon. I, I hope that that's only, that's a, you know, just that. <laughs> yeah, that would be great. All right. Um, thank you so much. It's Thanks, been a pleasure Brian. having you on the show. Thank you so much to Pete Goldfinger for coming on the show. Check out his movie Rex and keep an ear out for his next round of classes. Also, thank you to our presenting sponsor, John Rosenfeld Studios and Actor Salon. And more than anything, thank you to you for listening and continuing to support the show during this time. Stay safe, wash your hands, and let's all get through the next couple weeks by taking care of ourselves and each other. See you next week. <laughs>